But if we could, with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling, if we could turn back to that portion of Scripture that we read in the book of Psalms and Psalm 112. The book of Psalms and Psalm 112. And I want us to go through this psalm, but if we just take as our text uh, the words of verse 6. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Or as the metrical psalm puts it, the righteous man's memorial shall everlasting prove. The righteous man's memorial shall everlasting prove. On a day like today, a day which is known throughout our nation as Remembrance Day, as you know, many people throughout our nation, they have congregated around war memorials. They've gathered to remember and to honour those who lost their lives in the horrors of war, both in the past and present. And as you know, Remembrance Day, or Armistice Day as it was formerly called, it was the day on which the Armistice Treaty was signed to bring an end to the First World War. And the Armistice Treaty, as you all recall, it was signed between these war-torn nations of our world on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, 1918. And now, 100 years on, we're still gathering around memorials to remember those who left our villages, they left our towns and our cities to go to war, never to return home. And as I said this morning, it's good and it's right and it's proper for us to remember them. And I'm sure that many of us, if not all of us, we all gathered at uh, a war memorial either here in Borv or in Barvis. We gathered there this morning. And these war memorials, they stand silently in our villages, in our towns and in our cities. They stand as a lasting testament to the service, the sacrifice and the suffering of the men and women who gave their lives for both king and country. These war memorials, they witness to us, they testify to us of the suffering that was endured in order to bring us peace. And as we often say in our ode of remembrance, we will remember them. We will remember them. It's good for us to remember them, lest we forget. Because the truth is, we're prone to forgetting. A few days from now, we'll see these war memorials standing silently as a witness and a testimony to those who died to bring us peace. But if we're honest with ourselves, we'll have forgotten all about them. Because a century on from the end of the great war, the war to end all wars, a century on, our lives are very different. We're so busy. We're all rushing around. We're all trying to deal with the here and now. Our lives are so full. There's so much on. There are so many demands upon our lives. And so many pressures. So much to do. And so little time. So much to think about that we can't give a thought to anything else. And we quickly forget. We forget the service, the sacrifice and the suffering that took place in the past. In order to bring us peace in the present and in our future. We quickly forget But you know, sadly, the same can be said about Jesus. Our lives are so full, 
Our lives are so busy, so hectic, that we have little or no time for Jesus. Our lives have so many pressures, so many demands, so many other things that become our priority. And we forget all about the service, the sacrifice, and the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross in order to bring us peace. We quickly forget the greatest victory in human history. And it was a victory fought not by war, but by willing obedience. The willing obedience of Jesus in dying on behalf of sinners like you and me. And what's remarkable is that Jesus knew. Jesus knew that we would very quickly forget about his sacrifice and his suffering and his service. He, would, he knew that we would forget. That's why he instituted that memorial meal we call the Lord's Supper. Where we have those symbols of bread and wine. They depict to us a, a crucified body substituted in the place of sinners. The wine representing to us the blood that was shed in order to cleanse us from all our sin. And the bread and the wine, they're a vivid reminder of Jesus' sacrificial death upon the cross. Jesus knew how quickly we, we would forget. Which is why he gives to us on the pages of scripture his own ode of remembrance. He says, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. But you know, we're to remember the service, the sacrifice and the suffering of Jesus. Not just when we have communion. Jesus' victory, which brought us peace, that should be before us every day of our lives. His memorial is something that we should always remember and never forget. And I want to say this evening that that's what Psalm 112 is all about. Psalm 112 is all about the righteous man's memorial. The metrical version of verse 6 says that the righteous man's memorial shall everlasting prove. And I want, to, I want to say that the righteous man is Jesus Christ. The righteous man is Jesus Christ. And the righteous man's memorial, it shall everlasting prove. My friend, this psalm is speaking to us very clearly about the memorial of Jesus Christ. And this psalm is calling us, in fact, it's exhorting us to gather around the memorial of Jesus Christ. Because this memorial, the memorial of Jesus, it's testifying and it's witnessing to us of the service, the sacrifice and the suffering of Jesus that brought us peace. And so this evening, I want us to gather around this memorial in our minds. I want us to come to the memorial of Jesus and gather around this memorial together. And as we're gathering around this memorial in our mind, I, I want us to see that this memorial encourages us to remember three things about Jesus. It encourages us to remember about his heart, his home, and his horn. His heart, his home, and his horn. So first of all, we've been reminded about his heart. His heart. Verse 1. It says, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. When I think of the memorial of Jesus Christ, 
I have in my mind a stone structure. But it's not a man-made stone structure like the war memorials which we find standing in our villages. They're beautifully crafted and they have been beautifully built in all these towns and cities and villages where the stone masonry, it has been done with attention to detail and every soldier has, the name of every soldier has been engraved on that memorial. No, when I think of the memorial of Jesus, I have in my mind this single stone structure. And this stone structure, it wasn't to be found <clears throat> at the focal point of a village like it is in Borv or in Barvis. No, it wasn't even to be found at the top of a hill like it is in Stornoway when everybody can see it from miles around. They can see this war memorial. No, when I think of the memorial of Jesus, I have in my mind this single stone structure somewhere out of sight, away from the focal point of a town or a village. It's located in a place where people would be very unlikely to go and a place where people would very rarely frequent. When I think of the memorial of Jesus, I have in my mind this single stone structure located in a graveyard outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And that stone memorial is the stone that rolled away from the empty tomb of Jesus. And what's remarkable is that the stone had been guarded day and night by soldiers. Because Pilate, he feared that those on the outside would break in. But Pilate never thought that the one on the inside would break out. And it's that stone, that memorial stone, the stone which rolled away, that's the memorial to the greatest victory in human history. The victory over sin and death. And it's that stone which stands as a memorial to the promise of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. But you know, just imagine with me, when we're standing at this memorial stone of Jesus, I have in my mind that there are words engraved on this memorial stone. And the words that are engraved, I imagine that, well, first of all, we see the words engraved are the words of this opening psalm, where it says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But you know, because this stone would have been found in, the in a graveyard outside the city walls of Jerusalem, the words praise the Lord would have been written in Hebrew. Which means that the stone would have the words, or the word, hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what would have been engraved on the stone. Because that's what the praise the Lord means. It means hallelujah. And as you know, the word hallelujah it expresses joy and gladness. It expresses hope and promise. And that's what the empty tomb of Jesus is. It's a symbol of victory. And it should give to us the greatest reason to rejoice and be glad tonight. Because the Lord is risen indeed. This stone memorial of Jesus should give to us hope and, this, and a promise that he is not here. For he is risen. Jesus has defeated death. He has conquered the grave. He has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And as we all gather around his stone memorial, our response to this victory should be a response of praise and adoration. Our response to the death and resurrection of Jesus should be to sing the hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord. He's risen indeed. He's risen indeed. But you know as we gather around the stone memorial. And we see the word hallelujah. We're seeing the stones standing silently in a graveyard. But you know in my mind. There are words written underneath it. Words written underneath this stone that are also engraved on it. You've got the word hallelujah. But underneath there are words there that reveal to us the heart of Jesus. Because the words that are written underneath they express to us the reason why this stone exists at all. And they would be the words that Jesus spoke just before he went to the cross. Greater love hath no man than this. That a man lay down his life for his friends. And what this memorial stone of Jesus ought to portray to us. Is the love which Jesus has for us. That he would willingly and obediently. Be condemned and crucified for our sin. And die in our place. You know that's love. That's love. And that's what the Bible says to us. God has demonstrated his love towards us. In that whilst we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. My friend the service, the sacrifice and the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross. On your behalf. It's the greatest act of love. And it's the greatest demonstration of love known to all mankind. Greater love hath no man than this. That a man lay down his life for his friends. And you know this is what the psalmist is teaching us here. He's teaching us that Jesus Christ is the righteous. He's the truly blessed man who fears the Lord. He's the one who greatly delights in the Lord's commands. And I say that because... To fear the Lord. To fear the Lord means to love, serve and worship the Lord. To fear the Lord means to love, serve and worship the Lord. And that was the heart of Jesus. Jesus loves, serves and worships the Lord. He loved, served and worshipped his father. Jesus gave himself on the cross out of love. Jesus humbled himself. He became obedient. An obedient servant. Who delighted in the commands of the Lord. And he lived according to all the commands that are written in God's word. He lived according to them perfectly. He lovingly and obediently lived according to the word of God. And he was obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. And through his sacrificial death on the cross, Jesus offered himself. He offered himself as an act of worship to God the Father. Jesus presented his body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God the Father. And he offered himself as an act of spiritual worship. You know, it's no wonder the psalmist says in verse 1, Praise the Lord! Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. He's talking about Jesus. He's the blessed man. He's the one who fears the Lord. He's the one who delights in his commandments. But you know, the emphasis of the Bible is that we are also to imitate and emulate the righteous man, Jesus Christ. Because that's what Jesus told us to do, isn't it? He said, love one another. 
as I have loved you. Demonstrate your love towards me and towards one another in the way that I have demonstrated my love towards you. And the love of Jesus. When we look at Jesus, he was the most loving man who ever lived. Jesus lived by selfless love. He had serving love. He had sacrificial love. It was suffering love. The love of Jesus was a love that feared the Lord. And that's what we're to do. We're to fear the Lord. We're to love the Lord. We're to serve the Lord. We're to worship the Lord. We're to love one another as Jesus loves us. We're to delight in the commandments of the Lord. And Jesus told us this morning in Mark chapter 12 that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. My friend, if we're to imitate and emulate the righteous man, Jesus Christ, then our heart and our life must be characterized by love. Our heart and our life must be characterized by love. And you know, John, the Apostle John, he was known as the Apostle of Love. And that's what he emphasized to the church. He said to the church, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And John says, and the love of God has been revealed to us. It has been demonstrated to us in that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. And so as we gather around this righteous man's memorial, the righteous man, Jesus Christ, we're being reminded first of all of his heart. Because his heart is a a heart of service. It's a heart of love. It's a heart of worship. But secondly, we remember his home. His heart and his home. Look at verse 2. It says, his offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house. And his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness. For the upright, he is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. And so as we gather together as a congregation around this stone memorial, which stands silent in the graveyard outside the city walls of Jerusalem, we not only see that it has the words engraved on it, the word hallelujah, And then underneath are the words that reveal the heart of Jesus. The heart of the righteous man's memorial. Greater love hath no man than this. That a man lay down his life for his friends. But as we gather around this memorial. Just as we did this morning. We gathered around a war memorial. We all knew what the memorial meant. And just as we gather around Jesus' memorial. We all know what this memorial means. We know what it promises to all those who love and trust in the righteous man, Jesus Christ. Because this memorial, the memorial of Jesus, it testifies and witnesses to us of the promise of forgiveness. It witnesses of the guarantee of cleansing and the assurance of salvation. But you know, even more than that, this memorial affirms to us that those who die 
trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will be taken home to be with him for all eternity. And this is what the psalmist is talking about in verse 2. He says, his offspring will be mighty in the land. In other words, his offspring, he's saying, will be mighty in the promised land of glory. He's talking about those who are the sons and daughters of the king. Those who are the children of God by faith. Those who have been born again by the spirit of God. Those who have been adopted in the beloved. Those who have been made heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The psalmist says they will be mighty in the promised land of glory. When they leave this world having lived and died trusting in Jesus Christ. They will be mighty in the promised land of glory. They will enter his home. They will enter his home. And you know I love that catechism which always reminds us. Of what happens when a Christian dies. It reminds us so clearly of the benefits and blessings a believer receives at their death. I'm sure you were taught it in your youth. The catechism says the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness. And they do immediately pass into glory. They immediately go home to glory. And their bodies Their bodies still being united to Christ. They rest in their graves. They fall asleep in Jesus until the resurrection. You know, my friend, it's a beautiful reminder that for those who look to the righteous man's memorial, those who look to Jesus Christ by faith, they will go to the Father's house. And you know, is that not what Jesus promised to all those who trust in him? Is that not what he promises to all those who are his disciples? In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Oh, my Christian friend, what a hope we have when we're trusting in Jesus Christ for our salvation. What a promise we have when we look to the righteous man's memorial. Because we have the promise of blessing. We have the promise of blessing. That's what we're told at the end of verse 2. It says, his offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. This means that the Christian who is destined to go home to be with Jesus. They're blessed. They're blessed. My Christian friend, you are blessed tonight. You are blessed. Blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And you're blessed. Why are you blessed? Because you have received from the hand of the king something that you don't deserve. And something that you haven't earned. You receive this promise of every spiritual blessing in heavenly places from the gracious hand of the king. And you've received it. By just asking for it. But how have you received it? You received it as an inheritance. It's your inheritance. It's waiting for you. Waiting for you in glory. It's an inheritance of riches and righteousness. And that's what we're told in verse 3. Wealth and riches are in his house. And his righteousness endures forever. 
My friend, those who trust in the righteous man's memorial, they receive the riches and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible promises to us that when we are the children of God, when we're blessed by God, we receive an inheritance. Oh, it's an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, but is reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved in his home for you and it's been kept safe for you. And it's there awaiting your homecoming. It's there awaiting your homecoming. But as someone who trusts in Jesus, you not only have riches, you also have righteousness. You have a righteousness, as it says in verse 3, that endures forever. And it's his righteousness. You have a righteousness that endures forever because you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. This righteous man's memorial that we're all gathered around, it testifies to you that he who knew no sin became sin for you so that you might be made the righteousness of God in him. It was Calvary's great transaction where The worst about you was laid upon him. And the best about him, his righteousness was laid upon you. Your sins transferred to Christ. His righteousness transferred to you. And this is what Paul says. Even though he was rich. Yet for our sakes he became poor. For our sakes he became poor. That we through his poverty might become rich. And by trusting in this Jesus, we have received an inheritance of riches and righteousness. Oh, my friend, what an inheritance. What an inheritance. That you've been qualified to share in that inheritance with the saints in light. And that's what we're reminded in verse 4. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. My friend, as someone who trusts in the righteous man's memorial, you received this inheritance, the inheritance of the saints in light. You've been given the promise of his home where there is no night there. And he dwells in indescribable light, glorious light. And you've received this gift. And let's remember it's a gift. You've received this gift. Why? As it says at the end of verse 4. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. This is the righteous man's memorial. And it shall everlasting prove. But you know, this is the righteous man's memorial. The question is, what will your memorial be like? This is what we remember about Jesus But what will people remember about you when you're gone? What will be said about you when you're gone? What will your memorial be? What will your legacy be that you're leaving with your family? What inheritance are you leaving for your children and your children's children? And I'm not talking about physical inheritance. It's all spiritual because if we're to imitate and emulate the righteous man, Jesus Christ, then we must not only imitate and emulate his heart, we must also imitate and emulate 
his home. If his home, if Jesus' home is a place of righteousness, grace and mercy for the children of God, then our home must be the same. Our home must be filled with the righteousness, grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And it must be a place where we're leaving a spiritual legacy for our children. We must be a Christian example in our home. Because if we want our children to be mighty in the Lord, as it said in verse 2, then we need to be a Christ-centered example to them. If we want our unconverted husband or our unconverted wife or our unconverted children to be mighty in the Lord, then we must live a Christ-centered life in our home. Because when we live a Christ-centered life and have the righteous man's memorial always in our view, whatever they say, it has a spiritual impact upon them. It has a spiritual impact upon those in our family. And my friend, you know this to be true for yourself. I'm sure that you can think back to people when you were young. Those who were Christians, maybe in your home or your family, maybe even your parents. And they had an impact. They had an impression on you. Because they lived a Christ-centered life. They had the righteous man's memorial. Always before their eyes. They lived a Christ-centered life. But what is it to live a Christ-centered life? Well, to live a Christ-centered life means that God's glory is your greatest motivation. God's kingdom is your greatest cause. God's word is your greatest pleasure. God's son is your greatest pursuit. And God's service is your greatest activity. That's what it means to live a Christ-centered life. To live a Christ-centered life is where God's glory is your motivation. God's kingdom is your greatest cause. God's word is your greatest pleasure. God's son is your greatest pursuit. And God's service is your greatest activity. To live a Christ-centered life means that your life is most excited about Jesus Christ and not the things of this world. Where Christ is your priority. He's your desire. He's the reason you get up in the morning. He's the reason you want to be in church. He's the reason you want to spend time in fellowship with his people. Christ is your life. And you want to imitate and emulate him in his heart and in his home. That's what it means to live a Christ-centered life. We want to imitate him in his heart and in his home. But then, lastly and very briefly, we see the reason why we must come and consider the righteous man's memorial. The reason we must come and consider the righteous man's memorial is because of his horn. His heart, his home, and his horn. Look at verse 8. It says, his heart is steady. He will not be afraid. Until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. And so as we gather around this Memorial, the memorial of the righteous man, Jesus Christ. We've been reminded of his heart, 
where we see the word hallelujah engraved on the memorial stone. And underneath are those precious words, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. But as we also gather around this memorial stone, we know what it speaks of. We know that it testifies and witnesses to all who love and trust in this righteous man, Jesus Christ. We know that this stone, it promises to us forgiveness. It gives to us the guarantee of cleansing. It gives to us the assurance of salvation. When we trust in the righteous man, we have the affirmation that when we die, we will be taken to his home to be with Jesus forever. But you know, the righteous man's memorial, it shall everlasting prove. It shall everlasting prove. And it shall everlasting prove not only because of his heart and his home, but also because of his horn. For this memorial, it stands. It stands not only as a symbol of victory. It stands not only as a promise of blessing. This memorial stands before us as a warning. It's a clear warning. And it's a warning that the righteous man, Jesus Christ, is coming again. He is victorious. He is the risen and exalted Lord and King who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And he has been given that authority to put all his enemies under his feet. And his memorial stands before us tonight as a warning. A warning that he will come again to judge the world. And this will all take place at the sound of the horn. The horn was the symbol of power. It was a symbol of authority. It's a symbol of victory. It's a symbol of vindication. And the horn was sounded when the battle was over. When everything was ended and the victory was won. And you know, it's when the horn of the Lord is sounded that King Jesus will return to judge the wicked and to vindicate the righteous. And that's what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, he said, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, with the horn of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. My friend, it will be at the coming of this victorious, risen and exalted Lord and King. It will be at his coming that every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth and in hell. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The righteous man's memorial shall everlasting prove. It shall everlasting prove. This stone memorial of Jesus Christ, it has stood and it will continue to stand the test of time. And it will stand the test of time as the greatest victory in human history. Because when we gather around it, we're given a glimpse of the heart of Jesus. We're given a promise of the home of Jesus. And we're given a warning of the horn of Jesus. When everyone will bow before him and confess him to be Lord. And because of this memorial, 
we should always set this memorial before us every day of our lives. Because what Jesus has done for us is something that we should always remember. We should always remember what Jesus has done. The righteous man's memorial shall everlasting prove. My friend, just let me finish by saying this memorial that has been set before you tonight, a memorial that is bidding you to come and see the love and the beauty of Jesus, this memorial will be also, it's not only a witness to you tonight of God's love, it will be a witness and stand as a witness against you on the last day. It will be called as a witness when you stand before Jesus and be judged by the King of all the earth. You need to come and bow before him and confess that he is Lord. The righteous man's memorial shall everlasting prove. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we give thanks to thee for these reminders, reminders in thy word that remind us so clearly of the heart of Jesus, that he loves us, that he has demonstrated that love towards us, and that he bids us to come. Lord, we thank thee for the promise of his home, that everyone who trusts in him will have the promise of eternal life and glory. But Lord, help us to heed the warning that his memorial is standing before us this evening, reminding us that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Help us, Lord, to be ready. Help us to have Christ in our heart. Help us to have Christ in our life. Help us to have this memorial before us day by day that we would walk with Jesus, keeping our eyes firmly fixed upon him as the author and the finisher of our faith. All go before us, Lord, we pray, into the week that lies ahead, a week that is unknown to us, but known to thee. Lord, keep us on mercy's ground until we find thee. Go before us for Jesus' sake. Amen. We shall bring our service to a conclusion by singing those closing words of Psalm 112. Psalm 112, page 392. We're singing from verse, seven, uh, verse 6 down to the end of the psalm. Surely there is not anything that ever shall him move. The righteous man's memorial shall everlasting prove. When he shall evil tidings hear... He shall not be afraid. His heart is fixed, his confidence upon the Lord is stayed. His heart is firmly established, afraid he shall not be, until upon his enemies he his desire shall see. Down to the end of the psalm of Psalm 112, to God's praise.
of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.